2: Oh, South Kakalaka!
0: Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world famous two-time chance and feel the power! It's a new game, yes it is!
2: For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bader Inc. college football statistical model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice, whether that happens this year or not. We're, we're going to be here for you. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. It is uh, week two of college football. We had an actual, actual games, actual, like, FBS games. They were weird. Twenty-point upsets and all and whatnot, but that actually did happen. And we're going to continue recording on this uh, feed, obviously giving you the latest out of the Pac-12, uh, but also just covering, pack, you know, college football in general. So thank you for joining us. I'm Brian Conger. I'm joined as always by Mr. Rob Bowron and um, Sunny Dykes. Uh, kind of, kind of excited he got out of that one alive, Rob.
0: <laughs> yeah, he managed to make Texas State look confident, um, which uh, kind of took some doing. I mean, really, the the the, the Mustangs. They ran the ball a lot last year, and you could almost argue too much. They really ran the ball a lot in that game, and really shouldn't have. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, again, yeah, Pac-12 podcast. We'll we'll stick to that for the most part. But it uh, just it was one of the games that we had previewed, and we'll keep breaking down uh, these games as we go along through the season. And obviously, Rob is continuing to do his Saturday Six Show, which uh, premiered. Uh, now, there's only two out of the six games that you preview this time, but we're gonna have a lot more games as we come through. And um, Rob, how did how did that end up going? And where can people find that? Uh,
0: you can find it on our YouTube channel or on Periscope, uh, or if you follow Sharp College Football on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to try to have it up at 6:30 in the morning on Saturday mornings, uh, Eastern Time. Uh, and this week we actually will be doing six games, uh, even though not everyone is kicked off yet. The uh, the SEC won't be kicking off till the end of the month. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll be previewing. Uh, there's there's some fun games this week. Uh, in particular, like Louisiana at Iowa State uh, jumps out at me.
1: And we have an awesome guest today. One of the things that we had promised as we went into the off-off season (laughs) when the Pac-12 canceled their early games uh, was to bring on a a number of different voices in... Uh, Pac-12 football and college football in general and one of the things that is so special about college football is the difference in schemes right you have teams that run the triple option you have teams that do the spread people that are um, hard-nosed we're just going to run up the gut you know type of teams and uh, it's just one of the most innovative spaces for college coaching and scheme and um, really just taking advantage of talent disparities and one of the things that was super special this past offseason was the hire of Nick Rolovich and his uh, basically bringing the run and shoot Offense to uh, the Palouse. And one of the things that Rob and I had talked offline about was like, we really need to do a show about the run and shoot and what teams need to expect when they face the run and shoot and uh it was just about this time when doug fraley uh posted a video that i had seen on uh, twitter that literally did that it was like here is the run and shoot against arizona football this is when rolovich was over at hawaii and he was breaking down the scheme and, and the shifts between the defense and the offense and i just found it really really good quality stuff and um so we've invited him on the show and he is here what's going on doug Not much. How are you, dude? I am fine. And I am a big fan of your work. And you don't just do the run and shoot. You've been posting a number of different videos about scheme, a defensive scheme. And it's just really uh, uh, awesome product. So where can people find that? I really like if you're a smart college football fan, you should be checking out uh, Doug's stuff. It's really good. So uh, what do you got going? I know you have a a Patreon and and a YouTube channel. What's kind of what's the vision and, and where can people find you?
2: So, uh, you can find me on YouTube just by searching for Burke18, B E R K, uh, number one, number eight. Um, And that's also basically my Twitter handle at Burke18CSB. Um, and you can find all the links to all my videos and all the Patreon stuff on there. And yeah, I, um, started out writing about Cal football, doing a lot of scheme breakdowns for that, and then kind of expanded out. I'm trying to focus a lot more on the conference and all those different schematic differences, uh, that you were just mentioning. It's, it's really exciting and fun stuff.
1: So Rob, I'm gonna, let's, let's get into this run and shoot, um, what are your first impressions of this? And then we'll get Doug's like full breakdown. And we have a bunch of questions. Rob and I kind of put our heads together and like, okay, if we're going to ask somebody that has that focused on the run and shoot, what were the, the best questions that we can send him? So we have a lot of stuff to cover here. Um, but Rob, what are your basic impressions of uh, the run and shoot offense and, and it just how it's unique in the Pac-12?
0: I mean, it's definitely unique to be full run and shoot in in uh, you know in college football these days. <laughs> to begin with. Um, but like a lot of these concepts like exist outside of, you know, in, in normal offense, you know, in normal air quotes, I mean, in other offensive systems, but the, uh, I mean, the full commitment to the run and shoot to see, you know, the, so many option routes and uh, you know, out there that you really, you really do have to be on the same page on, I think that that is going to be unique and, and different in the pack 12 for sure. Um, you know, and, and fans should get used to, um, you know, you know, trying to familiarize yourself with like what reads the wide receivers might be making, uh, out there.
1: Yeah, it's such a super fun that like, and we've done our research on this, but Doug, what are the basic tenets of the run and shoot? Like how would, if if somebody, you know, came down from space and was like, tell me about your secrets. And you're like, all right, here's the run and shoot in like 60 seconds. And then we'll kind of expand from there. Uh, what, what are the main portions of it? What should people be looking out for right away that kind of generalize what the scheme is?
2: Yeah, the run and shoot, the number one thing you should be thinking about for this offense is what are called a read routes. Um, so, if you think about most offenses or most uh, play calls, you've got a receiver. If you call a certain play, he's running a slant or a post, and that route's basically fixed. The difference with the run and shoe is that in the run and shoe, um, at least one receiver on any given concept and oftentimes multiple receivers are going to have multiple options for the routes that they run. So a guy might come up to the line. He could maybe run a seam, a post or a dig, depending on what the defense does. He reads the coverage. He reacts accordingly. And so there are just a bunch of different ways that these concepts can develop as opposed to being fixed, like something more like an air raid, for example, which was who's coming from.
1: You know, one of the things that I thought of, because the name sounds like there's going to be a lot of running, right? I mean, you think of <laughs> Washington State, you think of Max Borgie, but really it's more like you mentioned the wide receiver and the quarterback. So yeah. um, let, let's go through the quarterback portion first because I think you need to have a special <laughs> skill set there um, to be able to run this type of offense. And sometimes people will equate um, the air raid with the run and shoot. I've, I've heard a lot of, oh, well, you know, like there's a lot of similar concepts. I mean, kind of, but it really does require a, a really cool skill set from the quarterback. What is what would you try to get in a quarterback in order to run this type of offense? And does Wazoo have one of those?
2: um it's a good question about wazoo's quarterbacks I and mean, we uh we haven't seen a lot of them playing in college so it's hard to say who would be the guy um heading into this next season but the key is that you need a quarterback who just sees the field incredibly well uh, because there's so much reading that's going on post snap the quarterback doesn't necessarily know what route his receiver is going to be running until he, the ball's already been snapped until he's already seen the defense start to move and so you need someone who's really good at kind of adjusting on the fly and picking up what's going on um especially because because with these reroutes, routes you can, you know, there's a tendency, especially for quarterbacks who aren't experienced in this game, to maybe lock on to the guy that's reading because he's got three different options he could do. And so sometimes you can see a quarterback walk onto that guy waiting to see what he's going to do instead of anticipating what he's going to do. You need a quarterback who can really get on the same page as his receivers so that he can be looking at the coverage and understand where the open spaces are, knowing what his receiver is going to do without necessarily locking to him. Um, looking at Rolovich's offense at Hawaii, I think you know there, there were a lot of interceptions that were thrown last year. And I think part of that was just focusing on, on these receivers, waiting to see what they were going to do and maybe missing some linebackers or some guys who are dropping underneath these routes so you need someone who's really really on the same page as his receiver knows what they're going to do before they do it so that he can be processing the defense and looking out for uh guys who are going to put him in danger
1: no i
0: was gonna say i mean you're really in the the run and shoot if you are reading the receivers instead of reading the defense i feel like you're doing it wrong because you should be reading the defense and knowing what your receiver is seeing right exactly Um,
2: that's the ideal. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but I, th- I think it, and it is true that I, I do think a lot of people, you know, say like, you know, run and shoot air raid, potato, potato, <laughs> which is totally wrong. But I, I think even in, in, I, I think that there are some similarities in in this and that they are trying to take something somewhat simple and you practice it so often it becomes second nature. The difference I would say though, with the air raid is you are you are practicing something quite specific. So often you don't have to think <laughs> and then in the run and shoot you are practicing to learn how to think, you mm-hmm. know, like on the fly. Um, and I, my, like my real concern uh, on, on this as, as they come into whatever, whatever this pack 12 season may look like, um, is, are they going to have enough reps to run this?
2: that's that's a serious concern for washington state i mean this is really the wrong year for them to be switching over of all the years um i I really like what you said it's about kind of learning how to think you know when you look at the air raid or even like a west coast kind of offense everything's timed up it's very precise it's about getting the ball out fast you know you can run your plays with more precision than the defense can because you know exactly what's coming you're exactly right that with the run and shoot, it's much more about very quickly being able to process what you're seeing in front of you and and finding the open space wherever it happens to develop. Um, I, I think that it's definitely a different skill set for the quarterback. It, it's a little bit less mechanical. It, ha- it operates more on the fly. It requires uh, more, more dynamism in the quarterback's reads.
1: Yeah, so one one quick question for Wazoo when it comes to wide receivers. One of the things that was interesting was, if you took a look at Hawaii, and we did a whole breakdown of Hawaii because it was week zero for the Pac-12 as they played Arizona, and they had some really good wide receivers, one of the things that was interesting was they were pretty small. And I was like, oh, that, that'll be interesting to see if they can match up. Now, Arizona's secondary wasn't very good, but they were bigger um, by a little bit, and I was curious to see how the wide receivers were able to um, uh, to perform, and spoiler alert, like they they were they just torched <laughs> they just torched Arizona's defense uh they were all over the place um is that uh, is there anything in a wide receiver that you're looking for when you're recruiting for the system? Like, I would assume that if you get somebody that's big and fast, that would be awesome as well. And maybe it's just because Hawaii's recruiting is a little bit limited. But what are some of the character traits that you would be looking for when you're recruiting uh, for the system? And, you know, Wazoo has a whole host of wide receivers. A lot of them, by the way, are going into the transfer poll. We just had another one uh, jump in. But there's still a lot of talent there. Um, uh, do any of those fit in? And, and what are you looking for with these wide receivers?
2: And the big difference with the run and shoe is that you know you always need a quarterback who can read coverages and who understands what he's seeing from the defense in the run and shoot you also need your wide receivers to have that skill um sometimes when you talk about mental processing is a trait in evaluating a football player you don't think of the wide receiver position because you know it, it can kind of seem like they're just going out and running their routes but you know the the wide receiver has to have the ability to see things the exact same way that the quarterback does uh he has to understand coverages to a higher degree than the quarterback does so you really need someone who's kind of smart and has that ability to adapt on the fly um because if the wide receiver makes a wrong read then the quarterback can throw an interception and that's always true it's doubly true in the run and shoot and so that mental side of the game becomes crucially important when you're recruiting um for a run and shoot wide receiver um in terms of skill sets you know always you know big strong and fast are always great for any system hawaii did incredibly well with those fast receivers that you're mentioning um Um, And just, I mean, the ability to separate, the ability to read the leverage of a defender um, and to make a quick break that he's going to have trouble reacting to or recovering from. Um, You know, you can you can do a lot with smaller, speedier receivers in this system because the system does such a good job of creating space and getting guys away from their defenders um, that you you can kind of work with those, I guess, more like the guys who the guys who you might expect more from a mountain West wide receiver, someone who's not six, three with a four, four forty, but someone who maybe runs really crisp routes and really understands what they're, what they're going up against very well.
0: And, and so much of that choice, you know, that it was out there like last year, I mean, Arizona got absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. Hawaii wasn't the only team to do this to Arizona, just torching them on seam and bend routes. Yeah. But <laughs> that, that, that slot receiver, whoever that was for Hawaii, and it wasn't just one guy, you know, just absolutely burned Arizona's linebackers and safeties on seams and bends. Um, And it does, I mean, it does put, uh, you know, it it seems as if in this, it almost feels like, uh, you know, the the new England Patriots type offense where like the slot receiver is suddenly the star I mean, Mm -hmm. the slot receiver in the, in the, in the shoot can really be the star uh, in a way because he, he is often running the choice route, you know, like, and he's, on. you know, they're running more often than not on an overloaded side of the field. Um, yeah. you know, does, uh, and uh, I feel like Washington state, you know, like, yeah, they probably got some guys, you know, recruited in there, but did these, I mean, it is a question I think of whether these guys are going to be able to adjust to and make, I mean, maybe I'm just restating, You know, Brian's question there on its own. Um, but you know, does do the, the slot or does what, you know, does Washington state have the slot receivers to to really hang with that? Because I do feel like that some of their, their outside receivers have been the stars a little bit the last two years.
2: Yeah, and the Air Raid, um, generally the, the star receiver is going to be that outside receiver, you know, like the Michael Crabtree model. Um, yeah. But there have been a lot of really good Air Raid slot receivers as well, and I think that they they definitely recruit for that. Um, the guys that they have returning have a little bit less tape. I haven't looked uh, too much specifically at individual players, um, but I mean, um, the I I think that with just in general, the speed and kind of the savviness that they often recruit with from that slot position, they've got a lot of guys who are kind of picking through traffic, you know, working against um, zone defenders, finding voids in the coverage. Um, Those kinds of skills are, uh, you know, I'm I'm not worried about Washington State's wide receiver recruiting, at least in terms of those abilities. Um, I think that to to a large extent, the read and um, the reads do a lot of work in terms of getting them open. Um, yeah. And I think that as long as you got someone who's coachable and someone who understands the system, then um, then I think that they'll be ready to step up and be be that star of the show.
1: One of the things that we talked about with our friend Hitheliday when it came to the scheme change was the offensive line, and yeah. t- typically. Mike Leach recruited big statuesque boulders, you know, that like pass protected, right? Um, And he had a a bit of a concern about that, those wide receivers as we move into this new scheme. At the same time, though, the run and shoot is spreading out a lot of stuff. Oftentimes what you're going to see is, you know, two wide receivers to the right, two wide receivers to the left, one running back or like trips right, trips left, or just a fully empty backfield. So to some extent they are chucking the ball a lot and getting the ball out quickly um obviously there's uh the quarterback will have i would i would argue more time to think about stuff because you have to let the play develop right to read the defense and mm-hmm. stuff um and you do have a lot of those outside receivers just ver- like go vertical bro like just just run really fast and we'll see if we can get you uh just to to create space and all that stuff so with all that said are you um are you worried about the offensive line as it is now at wazoo and what kind of offensive linemen do you need to recruit for the system
2: Yeah, this is something that's more of a Rolovich deal than than a run-and-shoot deal because he's got that Nevada background. um, And so a lot of what he's done that's really interesting, you know, from the perspective of the run-and-shoot in 2018, 2019, 2020, is the way that he's married run-and-shoot passing concepts with uh, kind of contemporary spread run-blocking schemes. And so I think um, the reason... To worry about the offensive line uh, is just because if you think about stuff that they haven't put on tape, you know they never really pull in any major way in Washington State's air raid. Um, you know Washington State's running the ball you know, 10 times a game sometimes, uh, whereas Hawaii ran the ball 30 times a game with some regularity. And they've really got a lot of different run schemes that they use. So they'll pull guards, they'll pull tackles, they'll run zone plays where linemen are trying to get across the face of the guy that they're blocking, um, get up to the second level, get to a linebacker. And so I think you are going to need to see some good athleticism and quickness. Um, for specifically Nick Rolovich's version of the run and shoot with this um, spread run game that's got a lot more of the power read and zone read kind of stuff built in. Um, now, just because Washington State has big offensive linemen who are mostly recruited for pass protection, that doesn't mean some of those guys don't have you know quick feet and they, they can't get out there and be athletic. Um, uh, but we, we haven't really seen it on tape because of the scheme that Washington State's been running uh, under Mike Leach up until this point.
0: And I do think that in some ways that leans into a strength that he's recruiting in Max Borgie on, you know, on, on Washington state's roster. Uh, but the flip of it is, is, I mean, Borgie usually went out on, and ran a route, uh, you know, for, for yeah. Washington state, um, you know, there in, in, in the run and shoot, you are on, on passing downs often asked to stay in and block and then release out uh, mm-hmm. as a running back. I mean, if you're Borgie, yes, you have to be excited to get more run touches potentially. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but the flip of that is, is that he may, you know, I, I almost feel like it would be a little bit of an inefficient use of him to have him chipping. Um, I mean, if, at least, I mean, it really could work out if, you know, if, if teams haven't figured out, you know, that figured that out about the run and shoot and they don't cover the the running back releasing after, you know, like taking on the defensive end, mm-hmm. um, then he will absolutely burn them on that. But I would mean, do you feel like they'll be able to really unlock Borgie a little bit more uh, from what they were? Uh, you know, I feel like he was even a little underused maybe even last year for how talented he is. Well, if
2: you, if you just look at the numbers, um, I think Rolovich at Hawaii never had a running back catch more than 10 passes in a season, if I'm not mistaken. So um, uh, in terms of his ability to unlock Borgie even more than he was used in the air raid, I, you know unless he changes up what he's been doing i don't necessarily see that uh, i think yeah. borgie in some ways his skill is kind of, you know, he's kind of the odd man out because like in the air raid so much of what you're doing is about using as many receiving threats as possible to manipulate coverage and so the running back is a huge part of that and you can throw to him basically to punish the defense for covering everybody else um, but in the run and shoot because you've got you know you're not using other receivers to pop guys open as much you're um, you're still manipulating coverage and things like that, but it's not as critical that you've got all these receivers out in the pattern. The read routes are doing a lot of the work, and so just if you look at kind of the DNA of this system and the way that they protect the passer, especially, it's a lot of six-man protection, and that that factors into the scheme and the X's and O's of how of how they pass protect, um, and so. Unless they're really going to overhaul their protection schemes, I think that they do need a running back who's more in that traditional run-the-ball-stand-and-block-on-passing-downs kind of mold. Um, The way that they are going to get Borgie out just watching Rolovich and watching his Hawaii teams is they do – I mean, your generic halfback screens, that's definitely a part of the offense. That's a way that they can get the ball to Borgie. Um, aside from just handing off to him. But the other thing that Rolovich does that, you know, I haven't done a study of a bunch of run and shoot coaches on the tape, but something Rolovich does that might be a little bit unique is that he does use a fair amount of empty sets. So while he might not release Borgie out of the backfield too much in an air raid kind of way what he will do is just split him out wide have him work as one of those wide receivers maybe he could put him on a read route do some stuff to try and get him open um so I think that those empty sets give Borgie a lot of potential to show off his pass catching skills even if he's not doing it necessarily out of the backfield
1: Dude, Borgie's going to get so many friggin' yards if this season happens. Like, <laughs> holy <laughs> Moses. Uh, I, I wish Max was on the show. Max was like, you know, uh, is num- fan number one on the Max Borg- Borgie fan- bandwagon. Um, and uh, you, he, I think he took him first overall in our Pac-12 Fantasy League, which was crazy. That was like two years ago. It was amazing. Yes. Um, but one, one more question on the offense and scheme before we flip over to the defense here. And that's uh, yeah. the possibility of a dual-threat quarterback in the system. One of the... Mm-hmm. Recruits that Wazoo got was Jaden Delora, who actually came out of Hawaii, and he was the number seven dual threat quarterback of the 2020 season. And I know there's other people there, like Gunnar Cruz, and uh, I forget the other gentleman's name, but they like they have they have a host. They have like three pretty good options there at Wazoo. But if Delora becomes the guy, whether it's this year or next year, um, can you talk a little bit about what a dual threat quarterback could do in a run and shoot, and like the way that they can adapt to that? Because it's certainly in the cards if they decide to to play
2: that one. Yeah. Um, I think that Rovich is going to move to that model as quick as he possibly can. So I think we'll probably see that sooner rather than later, um, assuming that he's got a guy who can do both the mobile part and, and the read part uh, in the passing game. Um, but the, the thing that, you know, I've mentioned this before, um, but the thing that's really interesting about Rovitch is that he has that Nevada background. So he was doing the run and shoot, you know, as a quarterback um, at Hawaii and then early on as a coach and then he went off to Nevada running that pistol something completely different from what he'd been doing and that was originally the offense that he brought back to Hawaii he didn't switch back to the run issue yeah. um, immediately um, but he has kept a lot of that kind of pistol, almost Nevada-style run game element, and so what, what Rolovich is going to want to do at quarterback is he's going to want, want to run a lot of these RPOs that have zone read components for the run game or power read components where he can pull a lineman and use the quarterback's read to account for you know, a defensive end on the other side of the formation. This is a huge part of his run game, which is about 40% of Hawaii's um, play calls last year were runs, um, and like with so many spread offenses out there, the way that he's getting the run game going is with that mobile quarterback as well as the RPO component. Um so I think as the offense is set up right now uh where that, that's that's kind of how that mobile quarterback's going to fit in. I think Rolovich is going to need to get that in sooner rather than later or he's going to have to overhaul things a little bit during this transition period.
1: Okay. Well, one of the good news portions of this show is that, like, you know, Hawaii lost five games multiple times under Rolovich. So this is an, an unstoppable defense. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it can be a juggernaut or, or not. Um, and I think that depends on your team's defense. So we're going to flip over yep. and talk about how your team can really put the brakes on this offense. And we'll do it right after this. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving.
0: Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the uh, Air Force Walk.
1: Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. Five one zero declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 3-1 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, we're back. And we're talking... Nick Rolovich, we're talking run and shoot, and we're doing it with Doug Fraley, who has an awesome YouTube channel and a great Patreon, breaking down uh, scheme and differences in scheme and and just some really good stuff. So, again, make sure to check him out. And uh, so let's talk about how, you know, the Pac-12, and particularly, you know, your team in the Pac-12 can (laughs) put the brakes on this offense. And, Rob, um, what direction do you want to go on this front?
0: Yeah, I I mean – the, the run and shoot really got i mean slowed down if you will by the introduction of you know zone blitzing um and and you know more complex coverages um where you are you know you're still able to send rushers but you're still dropping seven into coverage you know it has is, is the run and shoot and this is a serious question like is the run and shoot really ready for this uh for this i mean, cuz like for example like June Jones it really did not work out at SMU yeah. uh and it's not like SMU was playing in a power 5 co- conference, um, you know, is, I mean, and maybe Arizona state should think they're lucky stars cause they almost had June. I mean, they had June Jones nearly signed, sealed and delivered. Um, you know, is, you know, is the, is the run and shoot really ready, you know, for this kind of, you know, you know, debut where you were going up against, you know, some, you know, fairly, and, I, and I'm not saying like there are some pretty good defensive coordinator. I mean, and Washington state just hired a pretty good defensive coordinator out of the mountain West. Um, you know, but, you know, you're not like, you're not looking at the same kind of talent level. You're often not working against the same kind of like really top-notch schemes that you're going to see. Is the, you know, is this something that's even going to, are, are they going to be able to maintain their protections? I think against, you know, PAC 12 rushes, um, you know, and, and are, or is this something that it's going to be like uh, for lack of a better way to put it, the way Jimmy, Le- you know, the way Jimmy Lake talked dismissively about the air raid, <laughs> Yeah. Like, where it's like, oh, we we always know what's coming. Um, where it is something that you know schematically like is is somewhat figured out. You know, like because now like it's it's not going to be something where if you're playing Hawaii, you see it once. You know, if you you know if you manage to schedule Hawaii, this is something that teams are going to see year in year out now, um, mm-hmm. and be prepared for. I just I I kind of wonder if this offense is ready to to come back to you know power five football really since the I mean since the days when like Houston was in the Southwest, I mean, when Texas before Texas joined the big 12.
2: As with any offense, so much of it comes down not to what is unique about your scheme, but how good is your game planning and your play calling? Those are kind of skills that transcend system. Um, you know, the, the run and shoot and the idea of these option routes, the, it's had such a staying power in football working its way into, you know, you can't open up a West Coast offense playbook without seeing routes that can adjust on the fly. Um, if you go and watch, um, there's there are these videos around the combine time that Mariucci does where he interviews top quarterback prospects and makes them draw plays and stuff. And his plays have route conversions in there all the time. Um, so the basic idea of the run and shoot has been massively influential and works at the highest levels of football. Um, So I don't think that necessarily, it's something that, um, you know, higher levels of talent are necessarily gonna stop in the same way that higher levels of talent didn't stop the zone read in the NFL, like people said it would for a long time. Now, that said, you can get predictable in any offense. If you know who's running the read routes, if you know what options he has, then it's easy to come up with coverages that can take away all of his different options. Um, So it comes down to a game planning and play calling ability above and beyond what the run and shoot actually is. I mean, in terms of protections and zone blitzes and things like that, some of that just comes down to being a good football coach. You know, um, there's nothing unique about the run and shoot's protection scheme, um, that makes it worse at handling zone blitzes than the protection that you'd see in any other system. If you get a good offensive line coach in there who can teach his guys how to sort out all the movement and stuff, then you can protect the passer, um, kind of no matter what system what system you're running. Um, and the same goes for the quarterback. I mean, if, if they're going to bring a zone blitz, it's up to the quarterback to recognize what that means, who's coming, who's dropping into coverage, what does that do to, um, to the structure of the passing concept that he's got in. Um, So I don't know if talent is necessarily going to be a problem for making the run and choose successful. I do agree that there are more diverse schemes that you're going to see from a team like, like washington for example or like uh orlando at usc is going to throw a million different looks at you but once again that's just kind of quarterback coaching that's getting on tape you know recognizing what the defense is doing what kind of movements are happening and getting your guy ready to react in the best possible way when he sees all of these different things so um i don't know if it's a run and shoe problem going up against all this stuff um although i know that that's definitely one of the issues that happened earlier as, as you were mentioning Um, but I think a lot of this stuff just comes down to being a good football coach. Um, and the run and shoot will work as long as they're getting good coaching.
1: You know, in your breakdown of the Hawaii, Arizona game, you did a really good job showing the shifts In in defense uh, that Marcel Yates had over time, like he opened up and one of my questions was actually going to be what type of defenses are most susceptible to the run and shoot? Um, and, And maybe it's just, you know, who's scheming? Because in the beginning, Arizona's like, here's a great idea. Let's play man to man on these wide receivers. And then nope, like that. Uh, (laughs) It took like two and a half touchdowns uh, for them to figure out that that was a bad idea. Um, So what are some schemes that can, and, and Rob mentioned some zone blitzing schemes, but like particularly in that, um, that breakdown that you had, which by the way is free on YouTube. Like I know you have some other ones that um, that are part of the Patreon, but I know that you posted that particular video and I keep bringing it up because it's really good and you kind of show those shifts. So what are some things that Arizona did that kind of put the brakes to some of that offense, uh, you know, to the extent uh, as much as possible? I would argue that some of those those interceptions by um, the the quarterback uh, of Hawaii were scheme-based, like they they just kind of took away some stuff and made him confused. Um, So what can other schools do uh, to shift to really kind of protect against uh, what can be a a pretty fast and prolific offense?
2: For me, when I look at Arizona and I try to look at these broader patterns for what happened to Hawaii in 2019, you know, I mean, Arizona, although they did get some interceptions, playing kind of these, uh, I guess, more spot-dropping zones, like drop to an area, read the quarterback size. Uh, in general, teams that played that kind of style struggled against Hawaii. Um, so I'm looking at BYU, who did you know, remarkably well against USC's Air Raid, for example, uh, but they gave up almost 500 yards passing, I think, to Hawaii. Um, so you know, if you're gonna drop back and play zone and kind of leave space in between defenders, the run and shoot's incredibly good at finding space. Um, and so that kind of looser zone coverage is going to be is going to run into huge problems against this offense. If you look at the teams that slowed this down considerably more, um, you know, you're looking at Boise State in the Mountain West, uh, the Mountain West uh, championship game. Um, you're looking at Washington, although there there is obviously a huge talent disparity Um And also even like a team like New Mexico who's coached by Rocky Long, longtime San Diego state coach. You know, a lot of these teams that are able to slow this down, the way that they're able to take away the effectiveness of these read routes is by playing either a straight up man coverage in some cases, or at least more of a tight matchup zone where the coverage is kind of converting to man um, once the routes declare. If the more you can turn this into a series of one on ones, um, as opposed to, creating these spaces where wide receivers can run these different routes and find the open grass. Um, that's something that really caused Hawaii to struggle, uh, just looking at the overall tendencies in 2019. So I would think Washington's going to be very good at that. I think Oregon's going to be very good at that. I think my Cal Bears uh, might have to think about what they're doing in coverage when they play uh, when they play Hawaii. Um, uh, but you know, the, those kind of more man oriented teams, I think as long as they have the talent, because as, as we said, with the Arizona game, Arizona didn't have the talent to cover those speedy receivers, man to man, and they ran into trouble. But as long as you have the talent to kind of convert the game down into a series of one-on-ones, then you can take away a lot of the effectiveness of those read routes.
0: And, and I mean, absolutely. Like if you have, to, if you have the talent to play man, yeah, <laughs> then you're set And a lot of, yeah. I guess a lot of teams. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I guess the, the my next question would be like, if you are, if you are Washington state and you know, as we just laid out, you know, like, and we, we know, I mean, it is, it is, it's hard to recruit the Pullman, right? Like Washington yeah. state is never, is not going to show up, um, you know, with a definite, you know, like talent advantage in most games. So how does the run and shoot counter, right? If you have a team that's good in man coverage in particular, right? I mean, like, that's true. like there are not a lot of teams that are like, if, if you have, if you have the ability to play lockdown man and you can obviously do that. Oh, yeah. um, and it's going to be tough for any team to just be like, Oh, we're getting locked down in man coverage. What's our next option. Uh, <laughs> you know But like, how does, but how, I mean, I feel like for Washington state, that, that is going to be a little bit, I mean, a, enough of a reality that like, what do you pivot to, yeah. um, to try to open things up for them?
2: And that's where um, you might start to see a little bit more convergence with what we saw from, for example, Mike Leach's responses to man coverage or the air raid in general. So when teams did man up against Hawaii, you know, one of the things that they start going to is the quick little picks, um, anything that gets two receivers crossing um, to try and basically create traffic for those man defenders to run through. So there are a couple of concepts that they have that are really well set up, you know, to be man beaters. Um, where it doesn't just depend on individual talent out on the edge. Um, the other place that – that the other way that they're going to be able to attack, depending on exactly what kind of man coverage you're seeing, is that is where that zone read run game can start to become effective. Um, because if you can avoid blocking one of the guys that's in the box as part of the zone read, then all of a sudden your offensive line has a numbers advantage, and so you might be able to run the ball against some of these man coverages the teams are going to use to combat their system. Um So I think those are the two things. Also the screen game, if you are getting, um, maybe not zone blitzes, but certainly man blitzes and things like that, the screen game's another thing that's often really popular against man coverages like that.
1: So one more question here. You've been really, really uh, generous with your time, and we appreciate it. This is, like, a fascinating conversation. And, again, if you haven't checked out um, any of Doug's stuff, you should definitely do that on YouTube and on Twitter. It's really good and and high-quality things. Um, And, and like, with just full rewinds and breakdowns and slow motion and commentary and answering questions, like, full nine yards. It's just really, really great. Um, So I guess the the last question I have, uh, Doug, would be, if you are a defensive coordinator for a Pac-12 team and you are facing uh, Washington State, what is your biggest nightmare um, of, <laughs> of something that Washington State is either recruited for or secured or running? Like what, what would keep you up at night as a defensive coordinator about Wazoo's uh, um, offense in a perfect world where they just recruit something awesome? You're like, ah, crap. So what is that thing?
2: Um, So in terms of facing the run and shoot, I think the thing that you spend most of your time worried about in game planning um, and and your scouting is just because it's an offense built around these read routes, Um, there's a read route in every single concept, but it's not always coming from the same place, so um, in a certain sense, like with any offense, you have, to, you have to have a good idea from your scouting what concepts are coming on any given play based on the situation and what they like to do. Um, but the toughest thing is if you are dropping out a linebacker to take away some choice route, you know, to one side of the field, um, uh, but they're actually running the read route to the opposite side of the field, you know, if you kind of get that wrong, then all of a sudden you can get a guy, you know, basically being able to find any open space that you, that you put that you put uh, into your coverage. And so the, the tough thing is just kind of trying to track that read route, where you think it's going to be. Once you know where the read route's going to be, it's easy to come up with a coverage that can take it away. Uh, but the fact that Washington State has one in on every plane, that it's not always coming from the same spot, makes it really tricky and unpredictable um, and tough to defend.
1: All right. Well, light a candle, everybody, um, in the Pac-12, because uh, <laughs> it's coming soon to yesterday. Um, Doug, thank you so much for your time. And again, if if like, if like you're new to Doug Fraley's work, uh, check him out on Twitter um, and on YouTube and his Patreon. And, and Doug, can you just share with everybody one more time where they can find your stuff?
2: Yeah. Um, so on YouTube, it's burke 18 um, berk B-E-R-K-1-8. And on Twitter, it's burke 18 cfb and patreon.com slash burke 18
1: and we'll make sure to keep sharing that stuff as uh, as doug shares it out so um we'll keep an eye on your work uh, thanks for your time and i'm sure we'll talk to you in the future absolutely thanks for having me all right our thanks for doug for joining the podcast that was a great conversation Dude, Rob, I, I just—it's great to have voices on that um, can really dive into scheme and what things do, and like how to prepare for teams. It's kind of fun too when you see it on the field and you're like, ah, that's what Doug said. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> It's just, um, uh, anyway, we'll we'll keep a lookout more for that. And he does stuff on cover one and cover two and cover three. It's like a whole slate of things that he can cover, which is super fun. So again, if people want to check it out, but I don't know I really enjoyed that conversation. What about you?
0: Yeah, that was great. And, and, and Doug uh, did an excellent job, I think, in helping to break down the run and shoot. Um, I would also, uh, in addition to that, if you are further interested in the run and shoot, um, just type in run and shoot and smart football, uh, which is Chris Brown's blog. Uh, he's not as active on it as he used to be, but he had a really nice four part series that I went through, uh, in prep for this reading up on the run and shoot.
1: Nice. Um, Hey, we had an a email sent to our Gmail account, which is 12packradio at gmail.com. So if you have questions and want to send them, go ahead. And my apologies. So this question was from Kevin from San Francisco. And I apologize, Kevin. I, uh, for whatever reason, wasn't uh, syncing our 12packradio at gmail.com account to my phone. So I wasn't getting the email. So this was sent a little while ago. But um, I will make sure to check this account a lot more. And, again, you can also send qu- uh, questions to our account uh, on Twitter, which is at 12packradio. Um, and also to at sharp, sharp college CFB. Um, so Kevin, uh, talks about says some nice things about the podcast and thanks Kevin. We appreciate that. Um, but he wanted to talk about Cal and, um, and we've, we've kind of, uh, taken a big giant, um, crap on the sermon hire as defensive coordinator. And he had a little bit of an exception to that. And so I want to kind of go through what he was talking about. He says, um, the defensive coordinator, um, Tim DeReuter has been rumored potentially to be interested in getting back into head coaching. He was promised uh, associate head coach and defensive coordinator in the offseason. My read on this is that uh, it was done to keep him from leaving. Um, since it seems that he will likely get a head coach job, they promoted Sermon to co-defensive coordinator this year to start the transition. Here's the important point. DeReuter is defensive coordinator, and Sermon is under him as co-defensive coordinator. They've, uh, Cal's been public about continuing the same approach in game planning. The goal is not to have Sermon bringing his own system, but simply to start play calling for Cal under the Wilcox-DeReuter system. Um, that should leave Sermon ramped up to call plays next year with Dereuter gone. Um, as you can see, the change was not made anyone thinking that Sermon would do a better job than De Reuter or have a better system than him. It was made, uh, for transition purposes. Basically that's his comment. He also says with expectations, um, We've talked a lot about uh, Cal expectations, and, and he, I think I totally agree with him. He basically says, like, we're pointing to the CBS, like, ridiculous, ludicrous 11 to 1 um, expectation of Cal this season, rather than kind of what the consensus was, which was ESPN had him at 6 and 6. The Pac 12 reporters basically put him at 8 and 4, and Caesar's Palace had the season win total at 7.5. I think that's totally fair. I tend to sometimes, when I see something crazy, I'm like, this is crazy, and like keep bringing it up. So, Kevin, thanks for bringing that portion up. Up, um, I do think that the expectations for Cal um, across the board are much more reasonable. Um, so that's a fair point. Rob, in regards to bringing Sermon in and De Reuter and that whole situation, um, how do you respond to it? And, um, and what do you think?
0: I, mean, I would say what, what was described is, is exactly what I thought it was and the way I've been treating it. Um, you know, in particular when you have a head coach with, the defensive background of Wilcox, um, you're, when you're the DC, you are likely more like more often than not, not coming in to run your system. You are coming in to run Justin Wilcox's system. Um, but I, I mean, my critique here, and I don't want to cause I, I do think that people often think it's, uh, and I'm not, I'm not straw here. Like this is, I'm not implying that the, you know, the, the light or the question asker uh, is, is saying this, but that the, um, you know, that, you know, it's, it's more than just scheme, right? It's not just scheme and, and developing players like play calling is a skill. Um, and so my critique of having Sermon as the play caller is that it was a skill that he was not very good at at his previous stops. Um, so that's my concern. I mean, it is not, um, it, I don't expect their Cal defense to suddenly be <clears throat> incredibly bad. I think that they will still <clears throat> likely develop players um, and that they will also still be working in that Wilcox scheme. I do expect the, the the play calling to degrade a little bit um, as we move over to Sermon as the DC, because that's what we've seen with him, you know, in his past stops. Now he could prove that wrong. There's always the potential for upside people learn on the job. I mean, Ed Orgeron's a great example of that. Ed Orgeron was not a very good head coach the first time in Mississippi. Um, you know, he just won a national championship, you know, like he could, you know, he, he, he stepped it up a little bit. Um, it's possible that Sermon, I think, has, you know, uh, built up a little more towards that uh, and, and learned some things as a, as a play caller. But in some ways, this is sort of the same critique we have. Um, I mean, even if uh, with like Washington's new offensive coordinator coming in, you know, even if he was bringing, you know, wasn't bringing his own scheme, you know, like w- I would have questions as a play caller uh, on his ability there. With Sermon, it really is like, I, I just don't think, I don't think he's at the level of play caller that they've had with DeReuter.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think the one thing that does give me a little bit more... Um, optimism, Kevin, is if uh, Sermon sucks at it, uh, Deroiter still is there. Yeah. So there's a scenario where Deroiter just takes over play calling and they don't tell anybody. <laughs> so that would make me feel more bullish about it. And I'm glad that you brought it up because we have been, and maybe not we, but I have been talking about Cal as if Sermon's there and Deroiter is like out of the picture, which is not the case. And and Rob, you've been approaching it as if they're they're both there. So you know, if if this is a total disaster in play calling, there is a Plan B, and Plan B is like. Like you have a pretty freaking good play caller in Tim Deroyer, so in uh, C know. is
0: like Justin Wilcox, right? Like
1: yeah. So smoke him if you got him, and I get the transition and stuff, but it's anyway like to bring him in as being the transition, I, I think is questionable. Um, but we'll see. I mean, maybe he grows and maybe Cal is better, but it does give me a little bit more confidence knowing that they can fall back on De Um Anything else on that, Rob? No, I mean, and,
0: and to be fair, I mean, like I, I, we often, I have the same, like if I think that the the larger general public perception on something is wrong, I often engage in a little bit of hyperbole in the other direction. Um, uh, you know, so I, I get like, but like, you know, at Sharp College Football, like we had for the beta ring projections, we had Cal at 7.32 wins overall against the, what would have been their 12 game schedule. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't think it, it would have been unreasonable if, you know, the big question for me with Cal is, is still more about the offense. You know, if the offense has significant headroom, then, you know, Cal could have gotten to eight or nine wins against that. Um, Cause the, I mean, let's be frank, the pack 12 is just not that good <laughs> comparative, like coming into this season. So uh, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, like the, I, I'm really interested to see what this offense is like. Have they had enough? I mean, as we were talking about with Washington state, like limited practices, installing a new system, you know, what is, and, and Cal hasn't even been able to, to practice yet because of California's uh, restrictions in place.
1: What a mess. Um, Kevin, thank you for, thank you for the email. And again, send any other questions our way. I'm sorry that we like, can't see this on the field, right? That like (laughs) this year, this freaking year, man, (laughs) like, you know, what we, we, and we may have a Pac-12 season, but like, we're looking at, you know, Rob, we did our preview for the first, like, you know, three of the first six games or whatever. And, um, and, you know, uh, like Southern Mississippi loses to South Alabama and South Alabama was an awful, awful awful football team and we, we did mention we didn't mention do not bet on this game um and uh and they ended up overcoming a 21 point spread to win the game um we watched texas state smu and smu like barely pulled that off um i'm curious actually about the navy byu game i think that one actually would be a really solid game and we can we preview that on our previous podcast so um you know, unfortunately, we can't see right now the difference. And frankly, like if there is a Pac-12 season, oh, man, like maybe if there's 10 games, we can really kind of like the gear start grinding and then the teams kind of fall into place. But who knows, man, um, this might be the year that ASU wins the Pac-12 championship. You know, maybe they do actually get it and the ASU fans can rub that in our face. Uh, just one of those years. But um, but send send any questions our way, 12-pack radio. Um, Sharp College Football. Uh, definitely wake up. 6.30 a.m. You can dig Rob's show. And by the way, like he'll also post it a little bit later. So like I watched it. I'll be honest, Rob, at like 10 a.m. West Coast time. I'm like, oh, yeah. I forgot. Oh, no, like, it's, right. it's not
0: only on. I mean, it's not <laughs> yeah. like you don't have to DVR it. Like this isn't on any Like this is on Periscope. So if you went through like Sharp College Football's Twitter feed, you could absolutely find it uh, and watch it at any time. It also I also posted up to YouTube as well. So.
1: Hey, one more, uh, yeah, one question for you on that. So I know that you did um, a halftime show with our friend Parker at Stats of War. Are you, was that like a one week thing? Or are you planning on doing that a little bit more? No, we're
0: doing it again. Uh, we're going to, we just talked about it, like trying it and seeing if it worked. Um, we did it where I jumped on his, uh, his Periscope. And that allows you to just get on there with your, basically your voice. You can have one person on the screen in your voice. Uh, we're going to go through mine, uh, this next time around. And I've got it set up where we're both going to be on the screen, uh, sort of dual screens for the, the halftime. Series. So we'll be doing the halftime show tomorrow for, uh, BYU Navy, which I mean, holy smokes, like this game, I, I mean, after watching what army did to, and I'm not implying this is going to happen to BYU. Cause it's like anybody that says they know yeah. <laughs> a lot about what's going to happen. Don't listen to that person. Um, well, I mean, like Army just like, and I expected that Army and TSU game to be a lot closer. Um, you know, Army just laid the wood. I mean, uh, it, had, you know, really in the back of your mind, you should be asking, like, did, I mean, did, did does does BYU have? Do they have enough time to practice for the option?
1: <laughs> well, there was there was that. For, so I jumped on. It was my uh, it was my wife's birthday party on Saturday, so I wasn't able to watch a lot of the games like you know normal. And, but I'm checking Twitter and it's like, Army has a 16 play, 89 yard, you know, 14 minute drive, or like whatever it was. I'm like, oh, snap. And I retweet that and then immediately see like the 16 play, 99 yard drive. <laughs> it's just like so ridiculous the option. And oh, like, yeah. and if you're a Washington State fan, you know exactly what we're talking about when you. <laughs> played air force uh in that bowl game i mean it could just be excruciating so um we will keep our eye on that so um and and we'll make sure to tweet out like the halftime show it'd be pretty fun so um with that let, let's wrap this up thanks for listening thanks uh, again our, our thanks to doug for show uh, showing up on the show and we'll continue uh, to bring on new guests and cover uh, games and just keep keep the party going so uh we will catch you probably maybe even before next week we'll figure it out i don't know you never know we could all get hit by a meteor so um, you know stay safe out there and we'll catch you soon